probably Britain's greatest Star Wars podcast. You're listening to Star Wars Sessions with Matt Hudson and Luke Bly. This is where the fun begins. Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the galaxy and welcome to Star Wars Sessions. Come for the Star Wars, stay for the Sessions. My name is Matt Hudson, aka Jabba the Hud, and joining me as ever in the cockpit of the Essex Falcon, the world is the greatest Star Wars man, fan and buddy out there. It's Admiral Holdo. You know, from the Battle of Blyron Belt. Oh, yes. I'm here for that one, Matty boy. I am here for that one. Another solid Bly pun. 77 shows in and he's still on the Bly puns, people. We love it and you love it. How on earth are you, Matty boy? Doing very, very, very well, mate. I still pledge to get somehow to get to episode 100 before they probably get retired or at least recycled. Uh, 23 more to go but yeah man i'm doing well i've been i'm knackered i've been doing um uh, online x like youtube like 10 minute like fat burning like killer workouts they're called so my body is just shot to pieces and good fun though mate. i'm really enjoying and now to walk around chelmsford this afternoon old chelmo so i'm um actually sitting down i have my first cup of tea of the day which is for me a big deal and i'm literally this is my chill out time so i'm unwinding and shooting the galactic breeze at the same time so if there was such a thing as a perfect Monday, if Carlsberg made Mondays, this would be it, mate. But how are oh, you? You filthy boy. No, I've had a good little weekend, man. It's been, listen, I'm just glad it's cooler because it has been hot yes. as heck in the UK. And now it is a lot cooler. So I'm a lot happier with, about that. I've had a naughty little weekend, seen some friends, um, went to a drive-in cinema yesterday for the first nice. time i surprised my missus we were meant to be out in la right we were meant to be in celebration That's in it. a couple sure. of weeks time and um on one of the days basically we were going to do celebration on a day right and then a few days later we were going to do a pretty woman day so star wars done yeah. a pretty woman day because pretty nice. woman is one of my wife's uh wife's uh favorite films so we were going to go to rodeo drive and do all this stuff and and we can't go so i can both- see richard gear and you in the same on the same drive Oh, mate, we love it. We love it, mate. And uh, do you know what? Actually, at my wedding, I had a Lotus. It's not an Elise. It's a, oh, my brother's probably going mental now. The uh, the Lotus that's driven at the start of Pretty Woman. Yeah, I know what my, you mean. I'm, I'm bad with names of cars. But it I was know also in a, um, in a Bond film. Yes. Lotus Esprit, that's it. Lotus, Lotus Esprit. Esprit. I'm useless yep. with car names. My brother has like restored one of those bad boys from scratch, and he like um he drove it around Europe and everything. And that was my wedding car. That's the car I arrived in. It was so good. How so pimp good. is that? Ah, oh, mate. <laughs> Love like it. Turning up. What, what, what did he see at the driving? Oh yeah, Pretty Woman. Pretty Woman. No, you saw Pretty Woman at the driving. That's Sweet. what. Sorry, that's what I was getting to. Yeah, that's what we were. <laughs> Imagine if Arily, your surprise is we're watching. Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi weekend. Legit, she did ask me. She went, are we watching? Because it was a surprise. She had no clue what we were doing. She was like, is it a Star Wars film? I was like, is it a Star Wars? I I was like, would you mind if it was? (laughs) She was like, no, I'd still enjoy it. But But I could tell. There was just in her eyes. I'd like it still. There was just slight disappointment. 
But other than that, mate, it's a spice one. My missus has got some girls around next door, right, in the room next door, yeah. So if you hear any craziness, it is them. But other than that, mate, other than that, other than all the spice, all the heat, all the force, I can feel the force is strong with us tonight, mate. Mm -hmm. I am definitely, definitely ready to shoot the galactic breeze. Yes, well, that's what we do on a Monday, and that's what you guys get to hear on a Wednesday. So, in the background, I'm sure I can hear those chimes, the echo of Big Ben Kenobi. It's a Galactic News Round. It's been announced that the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special will release on Disney Plus this Thanksgiving. Adria Arjona has signed up to join the cast of the upcoming Cassian Andor series. Kenobi to begin exterior production in the volume next month, according to reports. And the final part of the Alphabet Squadron trilogy has been revealed, titled Victory's Price. The book will release on March the 2nd, 2021. This is Guy Henry, known for playing Grand Moff Tarkin in Rogue One, and you're listening to Star Wars Sessions, probably Britain's greatest Star Wars podcast. We're going back in time this week, guys. We're going back in time to a time when, well, there were no Star Wars. A Star War was a thing which people would make would look at you like you were a bit weird if you mentioned. Lukey Boy, 1977, what are we doing this week? Guys... It's our 77th show, right? <laughs> and we wanted to commemorate that in the best way possible. And what better way than to look at the year 1977? Because 1977 was an important year, people. I'm sure you all know. But for those of you that don't, it is when the first and the original Star Wars came to the world. It graced us. And George Lucas created it. And that wasn't a straightforward story. Now, George Lucas was... Uh, he was an interesting character in Hollywood at the time. He was seen as quite avant-garde. You know, he was seen as unorthodox, different. He directed a lot of short films. That was his thing. That was, that, that was what he was into. You know, he loved all this stuff. I think one of his favourite... And not only favourite, but um, one of his most well-known bits of kind of indie cinema is a film called THX 1138. Have, have you seen that, Matty Boy? I have seen uh, THX uh, 1138. It's, it's, it is avant-garde. It's, it's very experimental. And it is, when you watch it now, again, with, with hindsight, it's certainly the mind of someone who was, who wanted to make bigger and better things, but was constrained by, uh, the technology of the time because it's it's a it's a solid film. You know, what I mean, it's not it's not it's not the most exciting film. It's not the best film, but it's all right. It's I mean, his next film that was far better. But one one three eight, you know, it it was all right. Yeah, yeah, and, and it it certainly caught a lot of people's attention. Um, but but George was part of this just new wave of American cinema. They were seen as quite radical, quite revolutionary, right? There were these people that 
supposedly put the film before the studio film That's right. before money story before profit right mm-hmm. and that, it, it, cinema was going down that kind of route okay and um some of his friends you know um spielberg uh francis ford coppola um there, there's there's a whole list of, the, of Brian these guys. De Palma, uh, Billy Freaking, Martin Scorsese. All of these people were part of that up and coming group. Yeah, names yes. that everyone's heard today, or at least you've seen their films. They changed cinema, guys. They changed cinema, and George Lucas was a very serious filmmaker, guys. You know, he he almost was challenged to make something more fun, and. That's kind of what he did, and he did that with with a couple films. But but his first one isn't actually necessarily going to be one you you immediately think of. It was a different film called American Graffiti. Mm. Now George Lucas loved racing his car as a kid, right? His dad bought him like an old shoddy uh, Fiat, right? And for the Americans who don't even know what a Fiat is, it's a small little Italian car, right? It's not necessarily always known as being the best or the fastest or, you know, even the most reliable. But there's something. And, and if anything, they look kind of pretty, right? Mm-hmm. For yeah, most yeah. famous model, Fiat 500. You know, we're, yeah. we're talking cars, aren't we, this yeah, week? Fiat Panda. <laughs> we love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Panda, Panda Go. Chica Cento. Oh, Cheeky Cento. <laughs> yeah, we all love that. A Fiat Cinquecento. Oh, Andy Monza's going to be like they're butchering the old uh, Italian impressions. That's it. <laughs> but there we go. American Graffiti. It was oh, it was mate. successful. People liked this film. You know, people really gave it a chance. It's a good film as well. Very good film. If you yeah. haven't seen it, check it out. It's a very good film. And this is the thing, right? Is that people believed in George Lucas. George Lucas had this quality because he wasn't always the most outspoken or necessarily, you know, the most flamboyant person. He kind of, he kind of just like sunk in the background in some in some scenes and in some scenarios. And you can kind of imagine that, you know, as we know George Lucas in you know twenty twenty, we've seen all of these years, you know, in interviews, he isn't he isn't the most like crazy, you know, person who's who's expression it and stuff. It's very, you know, matter of fact and he's very much inside of his own head. But that's certainly what provided us with a galaxy that's so fun and gorgeous. It was all from that head and george lucas always loved the idea of space opera he loved these serials and stuff you know these sci-fi stuff he loved flash gordon in fact he wanted to make a flash gordon series Mm -hmm. he wanted the rights to it and what did they say matty boy uh they weren't available at the time i don't believe or they they he couldn't afford them that's it that's it and so he wanted to basically make a space opera and he's toying around with this idea for a long 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 time and he was pressured into kind of doing this because the studios wanted it right Mm -hmm. so we've got we've got this director that hollywood kind of doesn't trust they would hear his name and be like are you the guy who did 11 like 11 38 yeah that's me all right close the door you know like people People didn't trust this guy because Hollywood still wasn't at this place where they could invest tons and tons and tons of money into these blockbusters, right? It wasn't really a thing yet. You know, it, it kind of came. It, there was a new wave of films that brought this. And I know, Matty Boy, you're a film guy, but yep. 
Spielberg kind of left when Spielberg and George Lucas were, became very good friends. And now, apparently, they're, they're like best friends. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah, it's, it's lovely. But but um, Spielberg came and brought Jaws to the table, mm-hmm. right? And that was a huge success. You know all about that, mate, boy. Yeah, a couple of years before, 1975, it's the first, it's the first blockbuster. If, you know, at the time, you know, what's going what's gonna to be able to beat Jaws? It's the first film I had Hughes going around the block. And, of course, Spielberg, I'd say, and George Lucas were contemporaries and they were buddies. So um, they would help each other. Uh, they would help each other. They'd G each other up, uh, which I'm sure we'll mention uh, when we get closer to the release of the film. But it uh, it's a lovely friendship based on respect for each other, each other's work, each other's writing, and the advances that everybody pushed because everybody knows the production issues on Jaws. Star Wars had plenty as well. So back in those days, like you've mentioned, you had all these revolutionary filmmakers who had ideas almost above their station because the the advancement in technology weren't there. So they were having to either create their own technology or make do with what they've got and be clever with how they film things. Like with Jaws, don't show the shark because we don't really have one. So we, we can only show little bits of it because we haven't got a shark. Brewster Shark, as they call it. But yeah, when American Graffiti came out, I mean, that made 140 million bucks from off a 777,000 budget. That is what you call bank. It made bit, and it was nominated for Oscars, Best Picture and Director and Screenplay. No American, without American Graffiti, we don't get Star Wars. It, and it's, it really is as simple. If, if George Lucas doesn't make this love letter to his hometown of, uh, was it Modesto, California, and his love of cruising and the 50s scene, if he doesn't make that love letter, we don't get the space opera that we, we've been doing 77 episodes on and people have been digging for 43 years now. I find that crazy, man. That's so true. That is so true, mate. And and people did love American Graffiti, but Lucas had this other idea and it was this space opera. It was this fantasy. And um, George looked around and i think a few people did um and he found everything pretty depressing you know vietnam was going on america was kind of in turmoil especially on the home front uh, apocalypse now was coming out and and it, there is a phrase right and i'm pretty sure george said this i've written it down because i'm pretty sure he said this but this is something that i find on the internet a lot in regards to the first styles and it said kids don't have fairy tales anymore you know, kids don't have that optimism. They don't have that hope, you know, and that's what the original Star Wars was. He wanted it to be a simple story, good versus bad. And that's what he began to create. He knew that something started at the beginning and he knew there was going to be an award ceremony at the end and everything else was kind of, he was figuring out. And there are scripts of him uh, saying, oh, this is um, Mace Windy, not Windu, Mace Windy. And he's going to be like killing the, he's a master Jedi. And it's very wordy and stuff. And you listen to it and I'm like, okay, I can, I can make sense of that. But can you imagine, put yourself in the position of someone hearing that for the first time, especially if you are a studio exec, right? Well, the first line of the first draft is, was the story of Mace Windu, Windy, a revered Jedi Bendu of Apuchi, who was related to Uzbi CJ Thape, Padawan learner to the famed Jedi. Back in the 70s, they're thinking, what the hell has this guy been smoking? Yeah, What's right. he on? Probably but, was. <laughs> he, but yeah, well, actually, to be fair. And 
obviously, like you say, the studio system then was very different. It's not like now where you can go and drop $250 million, which studios seem to do like worryingly uh, frequently. Back then, the studio system was a very different thing. Like you mentioned, this new wave brought in the idea of the film filmmaking before anything else. But studios, like now, wanted to see bunts, but they weren't always prepared to put up the money. And I know that Star Wars actually had a slice in in its original budget. It went down by about $600,000, which back then is a lot of money. Nowadays, that's about 2 million quid. For a film which was ambi- as ambitious as this was, to take a budget cut wouldn't have helped. But that was because um, the studio didn't have any faith in it. But the fact is, to start with, no studios had faith in Star Wars. George did well with American Graffiti, but no one would want to take on this kind of weird, kooky, quirky space adventure with wizards and droids, did they? I mean, it wasn't just like he gave, he, he, he pitched the opportunity to Fox and they were like, yep, I want this. No, it was a studio system. Everyone got dibs on it, but pretty much everyone passed. Yeah, people didn't get it. They didn't get the vision. And so so George offered this to studios, to to Universal, Disney, mm-hmm. right? There's some irony there. Ironic, Blairenic. All rejected it. Yeah. They all rejected it, right? Now, George eventually pursued Alan Ladd Jr., who was quite... He, he was well-known in the industry, and he was well-known in investing in the people rather than the specific work. And at the time, Alan Ladd Jr. was the head of 20th Century Fox. And in June 1973, they completed a deal to write and direct the film. Um, but but again, uh, the people at Fox, they didn't, they didn't grasp all the technological side of it, right? And this film was technological, right? George would sit there thinking, because George Lucas loved all the war films, he'd, he would sit and watch these old war, um, World War II films, like Battle of Britain and stuff. He'd see the dogfights, right? The aeroplane fights. And he would think, well, I wonder what that's like for a starship in space. You know, how could we make that? And that's, you know, a lot of where Star Wars come from. You can see, uh, you mentioned it last week, and we, we always kind of mention this. You can see the inspiration from cowboys, you know, from Western films, from samurais, yeah. from World War II flicks. It's a mix of different things, and it's all packaged in this fairy tale that's good for adults and it's good for children. And it it really just... It went into overdrive, but it was not a smooth ride, was it, mate? No, not at all. Without Alan Ladd Jr., who became, who was a was a big deal, but he became an even bigger deal because of Star Wars, because the reputation he gained as the one man who stood by George and Gary Kurtz throughout the whole thing. Um, he believed in Lucas and he believed in the project. Uh, Alan Ladd went on to produce Alien and Blade Runner, and that years later and other big films, Oscar-winning films too. So he went on to he went on to big things as well. Um, but the, the studio just had no faith. And like we mentioned, American Graffiti. Lucas managed to uh, twist Adam Ladd's uh, Junior's arm and Fox's arm and get the, uh, get the rights to make the film in 73. But then the American Graffiti comes out, does well. Suddenly Lucas has a little bit more clout to be able to say, well, actually, I want to renegotiate the deal. I want sequel rights. And of course, the the famous uh, merchandising cut now. So that's where he made a lot of the money from. Because again, Fox had no faith in this. There's a famous story that 
or a few weeks before Star Wars was released in 77, uh, Fox tried to basically push Star Wars to a German merchant bank as an emergency write-off. Do you know what I mean? I had so, so little faith that they they tried to write off the film to a bank. Weeks out. Yeah. Weeks it's out. It's wild. Yeah. And, you know, and again, it's... I mean, I, I spoke to my dad about it the other day because yeah, he was, what, 17 when the film came out. And he said, you know, pre-release, there was no marketing. And, they, and films were, were marketed back then. It wasn't like today where it's everywhere. But you'd still get trailers on telly. You'd still get uh, billboards and posters and magazines. He said, this film, nobody knew anything about it. And even for a little a, few, a little while afterwards, it still wasn't it still wasn't a big film. I mean, straight away afterwards in the United Kingdom, because obviously we had we had the staggered release date compared to the states. But um, no, it they weren't even ready to release it, were they? They weren't. They weren't ready for anything. And that includes the merchandise that we mentioned on our toy episode. But honestly, dude, the, the studio and it's so wild to think about it now. But of course, you have to consider in the nineteen seventy seven that I can see why the studio wouldn't have any faith because we didn't have. We had uh, Space Odyssey for, but we didn't have Spielberg's Close Encounters. We didn't have a film like Alien, which showed that films in space could be huge hits. This was one of the defining... This is one of the most defining films in cinema, but for many reasons. And what uh, what it did for uh, Fox, it cannot be understated, but also for filmmaking, but the studio system. Studios were now willing to make a punt, and there was a lot. a lot of space films came after this which wanted to capitalise on the success. But before the film was released, Fox were ready to throw this under the bus, too. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I love that you've, you know, this was a different time, mm-hmm. a completely different time, guys. And it's hard to comprehend, especially for you and I, Matty Boy, because, you know, we're, you know we're, we're part of just a completely different generation. You know, we're the prequel generation. It's just... It really is in a lot of ways chalk and cheese. Um, and you mentioned the like the rights, you know, the merchandising rights, the toy rights. Like George saw the potential in all these characters, right? He could see, like, he made the cantina scene. He went, if this is going to work, if this is going to work, you know, I think I can make money from the toys. And, and people laughed him out the room, you know, like it, it wasn't taken seriously. But until then, right? Toys from films wasn't a big deal. No, it, it wasn't. wasn't really. Toys associated with films, which was certainly dominated my childhood. It dominated decades mm-hmm. and decades and still arguably kind of does. It kind of does. Obviously, toys and entertainment for children in general has changed yeah. uh, in recent years. But George Lucas pretty much invented this. He invented the type of merchandise and we're talking about, right? He, he came up with it because he had faith in that. Yep. And the irony is he had faith in like these toys and stuff and he, you know, he was confident in that, but he was still battered. And like you said, weeks out from Star Wars coming out in May 1977, which wasn't even its original date anyway, it was meant to be out, right? Weeks away, weeks away, George was was not confident in his project because of the amount of negativity surrounded in it surrounded in it and what there was a person that always supported him during this whole process and believed in it even more than george lucas and that is steven spielberg he believed in this project but there is one moment there is one moment recorded that we kind of know about that changed Star Wars forever. 
And I'm going to give a little shout out now, before I get to this point, a little shout out to George Lucas's wife. Is it Marcia? Uh, Martha. Martha. Um, Lucas. George's first wife. Um, she edited together Star Wars. Because Star Wars was basically loads of long shots. Like, I think they initially hired someone from the UK who, who just was... Di- who was used to get just completely different films he did he they just weren't invested in the film they didn't get it whereas george's wife did you know she knew george she she got the vision right she edited edited it together and it was a lot better a lot more sensible everything about it just made a bit more sense a lot more dynamic yeah but there was just some there was still something missing and um in london Mr. John Williams was recording the music to go over Star Wars, okay? Just to go over it. And um, there are reports that George Lucas made a phone call, okay? Because while it was recording, people just couldn't believe what they were, what they were hearing. Mm-hmm. They couldn't believe it. They were like, this is magical. They went, it works. It works. There are reports that Carrie Fisher was actually there and she was crying. And George rung up Steven Spielberg because Steven Spielberg was the one who hooked George up with John Williams, right? Because John Williams did Jaws, right? Is that right, Matty Boy? Yes, it is. Williams did the famous Jaws theme. I'm not as clued up on film history as you are, dude, but I'm I'm, I'm trying, mate. I'm trying. (laughs) And, um, and and the, he, George rang him up from London. It, just Steven Spielberg was in America, rang him up and was like, listen to this. And apparently the call cost like $300 but it was of company it. money, right? And it was like a 20-minute call or something, transatlantic call. And they just couldn't believe how good it was and how it just tied everything together. It was the missing ingredient. It was the cherry on top, the sugar in the cake. It was everything, mate. It was everything, the spice in the curry. Oh, mate. And lo and behold, something absolutely magical was created. Yeah. Everybody, we've done it so many times. We did did an episode on John Williams' music. uh, It seems like a few weeks ago now, but it's probably about a year ago. And the more we mentioned it then that without John Williams' music, the Star Wars films are good films. But without that music... There's, you know, that is, like you say, the missing link. That is the, the magic. Everyone says about the magic, but what John Williams managed to conjure up. Seemingly, I mean, again, remember, John Williams has no idea what's going on on screen. He's just given a copy of the script to read so he can get an idea. And he sees the film or a cut, a cut of the film in on screen whilst he's uh, composing. That's, that's all he's going by. So, again, it's not like when he's doing The Rise of Skywalker, he's got all of that history behind him. So for John Williams to just be able to pull this out of his magic wand is outrageous. And could you imagine being George Lucas and the f- the fear and paranoia that you feel about this film? Because George said he wanted to do a, f- com- a combination of fantasy and a documentary. He wanted documentary fantasy. People were laughing him out. The famous story of Brian De Palma trashing it during a, uh, mm. a special script. Brian De Palma did that for most films, but... Um, I guess you could tell me, say, look who's laughing now, but Brian De Palma is a very good director. Absolutely very well-respected director. But in uh, nobody got what George wanted to do 
other than, like you say, quite rightly, Martha and Steven Spielberg and Alan Ladd, without that uh, trifecta of people, the film doesn't get off the ground. But without John Williams doing what John Williams has come to do best, then you got to, again, it's one of those things, but it's one of those like melting pots where everything came together at the right time. Even like the, the script that we read, which our buddy James from London gave us, if you think if George had gone with that script, you know, giant octopuses and that, how weird would the film have been? If George had, had not had Martha re-edit the film, if John Williams was too busy that week to film the score, it is just that kind of like perfect combination of everything coming together, all the elements to to create what was going to be what we know it now is this epic fantasy space opera. But yeah, honestly, bro, can you imagine Spielberg so on the end of the f- good. So good. And it's, it's, we're glad that uh, Williams worked with Steven Spielberg as well, because John Williams has been doing, had been working for about a decade before that. He got his first Oscar nom in like 67. So he'd been around for a while, but we're just glad that he's around for this. So, there's a fun fact, right, I've learned recently. You know the song um, Africa by Toto? Yep. It's going to do me learn. Yeah. Lead singer of Toto. John Williams. John Williams' son. You're kidding. I'm not. <laughs> so not only is Williams like, created some of the greatest compositions ever, his son's created one of the great 80s pop, uh, pop rock ballads of all time, soft rock songs. There you go, mate. There you there go. go. I only Toto. learned that recently. I never I, I, knew that. No. I'm going to go and tell Come the on, boss afterwards about that. But I never knew that. But well, I was about to say that the the troubled pre-production of Star Wars gave way to something a lot different. But now I know that John Williams' son sang Toto. Well, who cares about Star Wars anymore? I want to find out more yeah, about that. It's all, see, it's all about family. That's it. At the end of the Africa. day, it's like a family soap opera. Okay. Range in Africa. Okay. That's it. <laughs> but yeah, troubled <laughs> pre-production, mate. And um, it's funny because when people over here had no idea, because what I love about the, the British TV spots was everything fe- always felt just so organic and so pure. And um, yeah, when, when the cast came over to do their interviews, it all felt like it all felt very jolly. And whereas today uh, we saw the rise of Skywalker press junkets um, and it, or even just a sequel trilogy press, press junkets. You know, everybody was very like, well, I can't say anything about the film or it was all very hush, hush, tight lipped. And you don't, the actors just want to have a bit of fun, but they know they can't because they can't say anything. But back then, the people were giving spoilers away, but it just felt a lot more uh, fancy free and fun. You're right, mate. No, the UK. Now, with the UK, the film came out later, didn't it? So they had a bit more of a chunk because once again like we said they didn't expect this to go around the world and to be so popular i mean at first i think fox managed to secure about 30 cinemas or something to 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 play this it film it in 43 cinemas on the opening weekend which are theaters which is which is nothing compared to what it went on to uh, uh yes and bear in mind they brought it right as well because Star Wars pretty much it once again not necessarily through a a a uh, good thing they brought the release date forward to a Wednesday right that wasn't a thing that anyone ever did yeah no you're right right 
So they brought it forward to a Wednesday, hoping it would build hype. And it just, it did exactly that. Like people were just blown away by this film and it became like a domino effect. And then suddenly cinemas were like lining up at Fox saying, yeah, we want Star Wars, we want Star Wars. Those sort of legal things and, you know, studios doing things across the world, it takes time. So in a lot of countries around the world, people didn't see the film till late 1977 and sometimes even 1978 um but we've got a audio clip here haven't we matty boy that is pretty cool and it's from a very iconic british tv show and that's it that's what that's what i was getting at is that the the british tv back at the time was so pure and lovely and this was blue peter you may have heard of it you may not they've got dogs and they give you badges which get you into attractions in the uk but it's a kid show which has been running for what about 50 50 years now at least and yeah. Um, it's it was always at the, certainly back in the seventies, eighties, nineties. It, it was always at the forefront of kids' television. And on one episode, they had a a young floppy haired chap called Mark Hamill, who nobody had ever heard of. Uh, let's not forget. And he he appeared to talk Star Wars. So shall we hear what young Mark had to say? Oh, let's do it, mate. Can you tell us a little about what the story is about? Well, uh, the story, when you actually put it into words, is mm. only so much nonsense to hang a great visual experience onto. It's the stuff that fairy tales are made of. We have uh, a fairy princess. Mm. Uh, we have an innocent farm boy who yearns for adventure. Alec Guinness is a wise old wizard who teaches me a mystical force, somewhat like Merlin would teach a young King Arthur. Uh, Harrison Ford plays Han Solo, a cynical space pirate that we hire to uh, to transport us through the galaxy. Basically, so, I'm a farm boy. I I inherit. Farm boy makes good. Yes. A nice. In I a hope nutshell. it's a good ending. I have to go and see it to make sure it is. There you go, young, fresh-faced Mark Hamill. In this interview, he's he looks so happy and he's so it's so jittery. It's great. And this is his first British television interview. But yeah, just you know. Hearing that, you know, we've got a, pre- a fairy princess. I'm a farm boy. There's a wizard who teaches me a force. A guy called Harrison Ford. He's a cocky smuggler. It's people we've grown to know and love, mate. But again, back then, nobody had ever heard of it. So I found it so interesting to go back to watch that and kind of put myself in the position of being like eight years old and watching that interview and thinking, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. Because you can imagine these people from a different continent going like, what is this? Right? Like, what? What? What is this? Right? And bear in mind, a lot of the world in Europe were behind America when it comes to television and film. You know, the Americans had way more uh, access to this kind of thing. You know, I remember um, my my dad, right, so not even many generations ago, the story of them getting the first TV down the street, right? Now, in, in America, it's almost like the generation before that, right? They were ahead of this kind of thing. And um, nowadays, obviously, it's just the world has just completely changed uh, and people have caught up, you know. But at the time, it, it really was just this is bizarre, you know what? So it's these things running around space and stuff. And you can tell Mark just has to strip it down, right? He has to strip it down and it's basically good versus evil. And that leads us into the release the 1977 release so we're back now on american soil okay so imagine there wasn't any press interviews or anything like that you know 
fun fact, George Lucas wasn't even in the continental US right. while this was going on. He wasn't even in California, wasn't in New York or nothing, right? He went off with with people to to flip in um, Hawaii, <laughs> right? To, to sit on a beach to recover from his like, near breakdown from making this film because everyone was telling him it was going to be a failure and that it was going to be a, just a loss and just forget about it and focus on the next film. He escaped the, 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 the fury and the press the indignation he thought he was going to get. Yeah, he went to Hawaii, which is not a bad escape, with his wife and Spielberg and Amy Irving and um, assuming it's going to be a flop. Yeah, exactly. And um, he heard, he began to hear... Otherwise, didn't he? Well, he did. Um, and Star Wars started to have people going around the block, became a blockbuster. And George Lucas was saying, well, you know, all sci-fi films open big because of the um, the fun escapism they provide, but then they tank from the second week onwards. Star Wars made $2.8 on its opening weekend, which now is about $12 million bucks, which isn't bad for a, a film which wasn't exactly playing into the zeitgeist at the time, but it opened in 43 theatres and yeah, that rose quickly to making six to 7 million every weekend, which is about 30 million per weekend, which was big back then. And after yes. a few weeks, it over 300 theatres picked it up. And by the 11th weekend, it was playing in over a thousand nationwide. And that's nowadays a film doesn't, films don't get 11 weekends really, you know, unless it's big. And again, this is, we also have to take into account that, there weren't as many films being released, but 11 weekends later, the whole of the country was watching it. And it, it played at the, the Chinese theatre, the very famous Chinese theatre in the United States, but it wasn't going to. The only reason it played, it was going to be a film called Sorcerer by William Friedkin was supposed to be playing there. And Friedkin, he'd pre previously just done The Exorcist and The French Connection, both won Oscars. Friedkin was on a hot streak. It, it, the Chinese theatre was playing Sorcerer ahead of Star Wars every day of the week. Sorcerer, trouble production, had to be pushed back, which allowed Star Wars to take its place. And again, it plays into the legend. Uh, and even directors like Freakin say, because of Star Wars, his film, Sorcerer, tanked. Because people were just going to go and see Star Wars. And so many films around the time were, were tanking. They, were doing, they, you know, they weren't taking as much as the studios thought they were going to. Because people were just going back and back and back and back to see this like, funky space opera. And nobody knew, nobody yeah. could see it coming. And of course, like you say, yeah, George is getting the phone call, and eventually he came back to what, seeing people queuing for miles around the street to see his film, man. Yeah, it's incredible, man. And you can tell Fox and George and everyone was not ready for this kind of reaction. In their wildest dreams, they did not expect this. And it even reflects in the trailer, mm. right? So Fox and co managed to scramble together this trailer. And I mean, I've got some comments on this, you know, that, that are funny, but listen to this vintage retro filth. Have a, have a listen, have a listen. Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas, the man who brought you American graffiti, now bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet. Star Wars. Here they come. The story of a boy, a girl, and a universe. 
big, sprawling space saga of rebellion and romance. It's a spectacle light years ahead of its time. I am C-3PO, human-cyborg relations, and this is my counterpart, R2-D2. Hello. It's an epic of heroes. Villains and aliens from a thousand worlds. Star Wars, a billion years in the making. And it's coming to your galaxy this summer. <laughs> there you go, boys. I mean, what's... Firstly, the music. What? It's so ridiculously generic in sci-fi, isn't it? it it's so stupid, mate. It's so bad. It, and it, and you got this dude narrating it, and it's like wow, you can tell films have come like a long way. Like trailers have come Somewhere a long way space. since then. This could be happening and right it, now. And the trailer's not good. It's just the not good. It's not, it's not a good representation of what happens in the film, um, which is crazy because no one really probably cared about that because once they saw it, they were just they were just absolutely blown away. It's just so much better, but. I do like the retro vibe of that, you know, and um, it, it just takes me to a happy, happy place. It's like when we did, I think it was a few shows ago, we did a prequel show or Phantom Menace show, I think, and we were playing like the um, interviews of the people, like the news stuff from yeah, 1999. Phantom Menace, yeah. Phantom Menace, yeah. Now we've we've managed to pull some audio from the um, American news outlets covering star wars 2 and this sounds absolute like this sounds like you can taste it as well doesn't it matty boy mate this is this is vintage this is this is like proper vintage this should be hung up on the wall in those american diners so uh without any further uh, let your ears hear this and finally this evening if you don't know what a hundred year old wookie is he or it is seen here on the left chances are you're going to find out Douglas Kiker reports. Star Wars. It is more than just a successful movie, it is a box office phenomenon. The film is breaking attendance records all over the country. Not since Jaws have so many people stood in line to see a movie. Alan Ladd Jr., an executive at 20th Century Fox, whose film it is, talked about the reasons for its appeal. I think it's just good and evil. The simplicity of the, the whole story is what really makes it work. Uh, it's a fantasy, and uh, I think we all grew up in a fantasy world. And I think that that it works on that level. Star Wars cost $9 million to produce. It will bring in at least 10 times that amount. 
As a result, the price of 20th Century Fox stock has doubled in the last two weeks. There are no sex scenes in Star Wars. Unlike Jaws, it doesn't frighten people. It's just an old-fashioned cowboy movie set in space with mind-boggling special effects. There you go. That last point is prevalent as well because Jaws was the first blockbuster, but it was it's, it's still a PG, but it's, a, it's very much a horror film. So everyone could see it because it's a PG. But like, like our boy Alan Ladd just said, you know, Star Wars, well, it, it is for everyone and it still remains that way. It certainly should do. Uh, so that was something that's played into it an awful lot. But honestly, mate, just hearing the, the almost like bewilderment in the anchor's voice. If you don't know what a 100-year-old Wookiee is, well, watch this and you'll find out, I guess. I'll let somebody else take over. So interesting, mate. Yeah, yeah, it is so interesting. And it was different. And that's exactly what George was going for, right? And this is what we're saying. George Lucas could see, you know, Star Wars did, or, or the industry and culture in general was just a bit depressing. And and even in Britain at the time, you know, um, there were coal mine strikes, you know, it, it, it was oh, yeah. power was going off. You know, Britain was really going through a very odd time. Um, and a lot of the world was going through an odd time, like we mentioned earlier. Vietnam was happening. There, there was just the, the Cold War going on. There, there was a lot of worrying things. And times were just different. Times were more simple, but they were different. And Star Wars really came and changed that up, man. And you can tell, you can already tell, like the news... The, new, the news anchor there, he's almost having fun with it, right? He's like, oh, yeah, if you don't know what a Wookiee is, you know, he or it, you know. He, you it. can tell, man, he's, he's vibing on this, right? He's having a good time because it's like, yeah, what on earth is this ridiculousness? And that's what Star Wars is. It is ridiculous. and But it just captures something. It captures something for the children and also for the children in all of us right it, and that it's cheesy to say but it's so true it is so true and it wasn't long until this effect had the had the exact same reaction in the uk right star wars just got the same reaction in the uk and elsewhere and we've managed to once again pin down a really cool bbc interview this is from 1978 okay so the next calendar year after star wars has come out and people are still queuing up to watch this film matty boy let's hear it the first of what the makers of Star Wars hope will be thousands of queues started forming at 7am outside London's Dominion Cinema. Brought out by a publicity campaign of unprecedented proportions, the audience knew what they were after. Uh, well, we wanted to get in and see it on the only unreserved show, and it's booked through on the book all shows right until March. And we couldn't afford to wait that long. And the prestige of being able to save scene Star Wars is something akin to royalty, really. <laughs> The film, which has already outstripped the legendary Jaws as a money spinner in America, tells an outer space war story with strange monsters, robots and special effects all made in British studios. Everything was fantastic. Whoever wrote it had a fantastic imagination. I think it was good. Just good? No, fantastic. It was exciting, but I didn't like the bit when the man chopped off um, the person's arm. Why not? In the because there was blood. Oh, but we don't we like blood? No. <laughs> Why don't you like bloody daft kid? Um, <laughs> no. I love the way the, 
that's yeah, you know, that's why the British are like, Who, whoever made that, you know, they've got a great imagination. Oh, I love hearing those re- retro things. And great. we over here had the, of course, it came out in the States to no fanfare. And then by the time it came out in the UK, late 77, very early 78, the buzz had already started. You know, the British had heard of this invasion, the space opera invasion from the United States. And the guys and people were ready for it. People were ready. And like the guy just said on there, you know, there was like a two month wait, almost like a month's wait at certain cinema cinemas to get a ticket. You know, it's the, the demand for this was, well, excuse the pun, out of this world. And the guy oh. in the United States broadcast saying it was made for nine million. Um, it's expected to make 10 times that amount. It made 50 times that amount plus more. It made $500 million worldwide on its original release. And it's, and again, the two, the two things you just heard there are the reasons why the excitement that this generated was, it was like, it was like something that had never been seen before. What Lucas did, of course, the whole lived in world and making the characters relatable, even though it was in space, you know, we felt like we could be Han Solo, that people, we felt like we were Luke Skywalker. We wanted to be like Princess Leia. You know what I mean? Uh, me, Jabba the Hutt later on, but it felt relatable. It didn't feel sci-fi and clean and polished like the music in that original trailer would have you believe. It felt like our world almost, almost, but in a galaxy far, far away. And it's amazing to hear people's reactions back then in 77, because again, let's not forget, people were different back then. People weren't, the, the culture and the world was different in the 70s, whereas now, you know, we have everything on our doorstep. We can do whatever we want, whenever we want. Back then, people weren't used to seeing things like this. And and it isn't, everybody knows that. I love hearing people's stories from back then. And the, the way the guys are saying, you know, you like royalty if you get one of these um, tickets. It's lovely to hear, man. And just imagine being George, hearing things like that. Dude, I I just love the way the news guy said robots. <laughs> Instead yeah, robots. of robots. Uh, robots. There's like Zoidberg from Futurama says robots. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he does that. So, uh, yeah, mate, I, that was the highlight. That's what I took away from it. But, no, you're right, mate. You're right. And it's it's sweet, really. It really, really is sweet. And you can tell in the reactions, you can just tell how much people really needed a film like this. Mm-hmm. You know, they needed it. And they were they were thirsty for something like this. And... And it come along, and obviously, it just it the the effect Star Wars had on popular culture for until now. <laughs> I was going to say yeah, for well, yeah. the following decades, but until today, to this minute, right? It has created just an empire, an empire of popular culture. You know, it is the most iconic franchise in popular culture. It has some of the most famous songs famous silhouettes you know famous noises and sounds i mean who on earth what what franchise has famous sounds oh no pew pew right music locations quotes costumes just storylines blunders everyone knows the stormtrooper bash their head nice one stand groom there's if there's so much about these films everybody knows isn't it mate and it's i wonder if any of these people who just heard i'd love to know you know, what they would think of what the prequels turned out to be like, or the sequels, people who were there, do you know what I mean? Like the OG, 
that's it, man. Well, that's the thing is that we do. There are some people that were just left heartbroken because they felt like they, those were just different films from a different guy and stuff. But it's not. It's the same man with the same head, the same creation, you know. And it is all in in George's head, and it's just something that he's built on, you know. And this is, I want to emphasize, this is a very clever and intelligent person. This is a man that wanted to make short indie, very serious and somewhat depressing Blake films. Uh, Blake's mm-hmm. probably the wrong word but like the, the they were depressing very serious films and, and instead we got something that has just been cemented in our culture you know star wars is our fairy tale you know up there you got snow white and like the 12 dumplings or whatever it is and nah, okay, mate, guys. you got star wars you got star wars and that is crazy so well done to george lucas and uh May 1977. Hi, this is Alex Damon from Star Wars Explained, and you're listening to Star Wars Sessions, probably Britain's greatest Star Wars podcast. Pew, pew. Now, I haven't got any 1977 vintage wine for us to share, but as, as fate would have it, look what's over there in the distance. It's our favourite dirty, dusty old drinking hole. It's Bantina. Let's go in and see what's going on. Oh, let's do it. Uh, the guns. Um, if you're new to the show, the Bantina, as I mentioned, it's our little bar. It's uh, where we get together and we love to hear from the best listeners in the galaxy. So we hear what you thought about our main discussion. And regarding that, firstly, we polled you lovely, hunky, beautiful lot as to how many of you actually saw Star Wars on its initial release. Yes, we did. We asked all you filthy lot and do you know we got some crazy results twitter twitter 36 percent of you did see it in 1977-78 on release which i was shocked at kind of i mean maybe that's bad of me but maybe because i was seeing stats elsewhere i was like wow that's a lot of people and 64 percent of you didn't and on Instagram, this is the one that got me, mate. And this is the crazy thing between Twitter and Instagram. There is a clear difference. Seven percent, seven saw it. Only seven, and ninety-three percent didn't see the original Star Wars in seventy-seven, seventy-eight. Plus, we got some great comments from those who were there, including Star Wars Dude 65, Corellian Blue, Tesmondo 74, Letitia Duke, The Imperial Communique, Hangar Bay 327, Carla Wilson, Jing Gallon, and Force Ghost David. Thank you all, people. Yep, and some of the pictures you guys shared were incredible so thank you for that everybody uh, and this week we're having a little shake up in the band Tina. we're still having kef beers and we're still sitting with you guys but we are, we are literally just hearing from you we've got some voice messages from fans who were there in 77 or, or 78 to watch star wars on its initial release so this should be pretty sweet Yes, absolutely. And to lead us in the way of this 1970s goodness, it is none other than Dan Perrin. Let's hear it. 
Greetings to the Spicy Star Wars team. This is Dan from Bermuda. So I thought I'd quickly say a few words um, about my first time watching Star Wars uh, all the way back in 1978. Um, so I was only five, so you can appreciate my memory of this is a lot hazy because it was 42 years ago. But uh, I do remember as I was going to cinema feeling this uh, feeling of massive anticipation. And um, as myself and my mum sat down, uh, the aisle in front, this guy turned around and he said something along the lines of, I think this film's going to be quite special. And then obviously the film opens and that huge uh, Star Destroyer going overhead uh, was one of the few things that stuck in my brain till today. And I think my mouth must have stayed open for about a good 15 seconds after that. And I think because of this film, I can certainly say it made me fall in love with cinema for my entire life. So, um, okay, that's about it. Take care, guys. Cheers. All the way from Bermuda. Thank you, Dan, for that, mate. And the guy in front of you... He may have been onto something because it turned out to be pretty special. Oh, mate. Mate, what a legend. I love hearing all this stuff. And once again, yeah, thank you for sending that in all the way from Bermuda. I'm loving hearing all this stuff, mate, and I'm kind of jealous. Um, yeah, filth. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Yes, it mate. And that one didn't get lost in the old triangle. Uh, we've got another one from a lad a little bit closer to home in, ter- in terms of me and Blyla Rin. Very close to home. Let's get our donuts and our candy floss and hear what Stu from South End has to say. Good afternoon, Star Wars Sessions. It's Stu from Sunny South End. You've asked me to drop you a line with some of my memories from uh, when Star Wars opened up back in 77. Late 77, I believe that was around December time. I didn't actually get to see it until the early part of 78, I assume that's when it went nationwide, probably February, March time. Um, I knew the film was coming. I'd heard my mum and dad had been talking about it quite a bit. Um, My mum had kept telling me how much I was going to enjoy the film, so I was already up for it. It had been on adverts on telly and things like that. I remember seeing it in a, a magazine that was out back then called Looking, They'd done a few articles about it, and uh, it looked pretty exciting to seven-year-old me. I also remember seeing Mark Hamill on Blue Peter back then. That would have been 78, I'm sorry, 77, just before Christmas. So, yes, Mum took me to see it for the first time, and I was blown away. Um, from the opening scene with the Tantive Four, the, the, the noise of it passing over our heads in the cinema was just amazing. Luckily for me, my mum pretty much fell in love with the film as well. And um, as films were back then, it pretty much sort of stayed on our local cinema in Southend for most of the summer, probably even further than that. So as soon as the summer holidays hit, we was going back two, three times a week. Lucky boy me. Um, yeah, and well, just completely fell in love with it. It was, it was the ultimate film for seven-year-old me. Well, guys, I know I've got to keep it short. That's pretty much it. My memory's all a bit vague of it, but I become a fan for life. Cheers, guys. See ya. How awesome is that voice message, man? And he's only down the road in South End, mate. Wait, South End. South End, that is classic. And once again, it's nice to hear just the whole family getting involved. And it was... Mm. 
that kind of thing you know you really get the impression it was a big deal and people just across the board loved this film and people from different ages and like it didn't matter who you was you know the star wars just appealed to you i love that love that I see. I love hear it when people say, you know, my, I heard my parents talking about it and they were saying you were going to really enjoy this. And that's really nice because that's what so many people say. Even even yourself and me, you know, we, we were introduced to our, our parents or grandparents or someone. It just resonates like that. And you hear it from from somebody like Stu like that. It's, it's incredible to hear, mate. And also shout out to Mark Hamill on Blue Peter. Um, <laughs> good. It ties in nicely to the show. So cheers, Stu. And um, thank you for listening. Thanks for contributing. Yes, absolutely. Local boy, huh? Local boy, no, huh? Matty boys. Matty boys, better. Go on, Matty, once more. Local boy, huh? There we go. Perfect. Perfecto. Perfecto. All right. And lastly, we got another cheeky voice message, and it's from none other than our boy. We've not heard from him in a while. We know he listens, but we've not had a voice message from him in a while. He is the man, the myth, the Pennsylvanian king. It's a rural farm boy. Let's hear it. Maddie and Luke, my Star Wars Sessions crew, it's Rural Farm Boy. When you ask me my thoughts and what all I remember from my experience being a 10-year-old kid back in 1977, going to see Star Wars for the first time. Yeah, I can remember a time before there weren't no Star Wars. But what I do remember is couple teenage girls in their mid-teens lived across the way from us and I recall it was late August over here somewhere mid to late August before school year started up and they was good friends with my parents my mom and my stepdad and they'd come across on a weekend and got to talking with my mom and asked if they would be allowed to take me and my little brother to go see this film because it was getting gathering a lot of traction and attention so it was two girls took me to see Star Wars and I know some parts of different things going on in fandom at different times says Star Wars ain't for girls well I'm here to say that <laughs> it most certainly is because they was fans of it back then 43 years ago always been for girls too but what I do I don't remember very much Except sitting in it, it was a packed theater. But the one thing that sticks with me out of that story, because most folks will go and say it, that it's the Devastator coming overhead and it goes on for a mile, or when Darth Vader boards the Tana V4, it's them them parts, the firefight in the hallway with the stormtroopers boarding the Tana V. Still to this day sticks in my mind. So if somebody's going to ask me what, what a favorite memory out of Star Wars might be, for me, it's it's that one. So that's what I remember experiencing. And afterwards, I didn't really get to have too many of the, the toys and action figures. For me, that come on, oh, a few years later, and especially after I got out of high school, when the original trilogy was winding down, and then I was able to find a lot of different things getting my first job out of high school. So that's what I remember about seeing Star Wars for the first time. And I'm looking forward to what other sessioners got to say. And then I expect that show will be in my playlist. So till then, fellas, may the force be with you both. May the force be with all your sessioners. See you on the radio. 
<laughs> See you on the radio, my friend. Anthony, thank you, mate, for your voicemail. We always appreciate hearing your the tones of the King of Pennsylvania. And again, another interesting story. This time, it wasn't necessarily the the, the parents. It was it was a teenage girl from across the road who um, who wrapped uh, Anthony round their little finger, got him to go and see Star Wars, and without him, how on earth would Star Wars podcasts survive? If he hadn't have seen that film back then and become the legend he is today, so Anthony, mate, thank you so much for your for your voice message and another interesting story, there, mate. I love hearing from that guy. I love Anthony, rural farm boy, such a king. Thanks for the lovely messages, guys. We had an extra special Bantina because all of our contributions are from people that were there in the seventies and they had the privilege of seeing history made so once again thank you to dan Stu and anthony and all the other guys who helped contribute thank you so much yep uh, i echo that nothing more to say on that other than guys you are the best listeners in the galaxy and we are very green with envy that you were there at the start so um just a quick shout out we put out another poll we asked who would you rather be stuck doing overtime with in a busy office cara dune kira twitter 57 percent said cara dune 43 kira instagram get this 58% said Cara Dune, 42% Kira. So it's clear that people want the boss lady Cara, Cara Dune to help them with their work. Uh, so that was yeah. another fun poll we put out. Maybe we'll be another one next week. Makes sense, mate. Makes sense. We love it. And that transition us, transitions us beautifully into our Patreon section of the podcast. Patreon. Patreon. Yeah. Hey, Treon. Uh, Jimmy Adams has got a question for us uh, for this show, and it is a spicy one. In fact, it's split up into three sections, and it's all about Star Wars quotes, Matty Boy. Mm. Um, so number one, he wants to know our favorite Star Wars quote. Jimmy's is, the Force will be with you always. And in fact, it's tattooed on his right forearm. Uh, our most used Star Wars quote. So Jimmy's is, do or do not, there is no try. And most impactful Star Wars quote. And why? I'm cheating, he goes on to say. It's my question, so I have two. Remember, your focus determines your reality. Tattooed on his left arm. And then lastly, hey kid, from The Rise of Skywalker. He almost cries every time. Those are some phenomenal mm. answers, Jimmy boy. Really good answers. So, Matty boy, should we do this piece by piece? Yeah, man, let's do it. Take turns. So, a favorite Star Wars quote, Matty boy. Um... I had two that I could think of. One of them was, that's not how the Force works, from The Force Awakens. Um, classic Harrison Ford Han Solo. And another one is from Revenge of the Sith. I always uh, like hearing this. It's just before the battle on Mustafar, the, when um, Obi-Wan says, I will do what I must. And Anakin says, you will try. I was like, oh no, it's going down now. Oh. So those oh. two. <laughs> those two, man. <laughs> I love it. Um, this is this is a bit of a funny one. I, I I suppose I'm cheating in a way, but I like the whole Yoda Luke scene. I mm. love when Yoda is spitting knowledge at Luke Skywalker in, in Empire, Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, I do love the end of the Last Jedi, where he's like, "We are what that we, we are what they grow beyond." That is the burden of true masters or something like that that is gorgeous but i really love luminous beings um are we not this crude matter 
and what he goes on to say. I think that is awesome. But really, it's the whole it's the whole scene. I just I just adore it. I think it's just a timeless bit of cinema. Yeah. Um, and another one that has got to be some of those prequel quotes in it. <laughs> it's got to be some of those prequel memes, man. Like <laughs> the prequels are just so good, man. They're just so negotiations were short. Right, yeah, a surprise for sure, but a good, uh, but a good one. Yeah. Um, but a welcome one, not a good one. The, the old London Pride's getting to me now. That's it. Um, <laughs> no, listen, mate. I, I other than that, it's got to be hello there. <laughs> of just course, it. Of course, mate. It's just bant. Just bants. Uh, most used Star Wars quote of ours, mate, boy. What's yours? I had a few, man. One of them was, "I've got a bad feeling about this." Um, never yes. tell me the odds. One I say most days is stay on target, stay on target, stay on target. Uh, another one, I would like to see the baby from the Mando. Oh, and, of, and of course, the classic, the myself, the boy, two droids, and no questions asked. Use it daily. Oh, mate, that is what great. You, boy? I mean, once again, um, it is, uh, hello there. Like, I greet people with that sometimes. I'm just like, hello there. Uh, it, it's just a club classic, you know. It's just a McDonald's club sandwich, you know? It's just one of those things. It's it's just something you're going to be using a lot. Um, I do like... You know what? I do say... um, I do say... You got a a girlfriend, cute girlfriend? No, you got a boyfriend, cute boyfriend? (laughs) Yeah, but so your wife's listening. But I say that too, Arily. I say that to my wife, right? And I go... And then she says it back to me as you got a girlfriend, (laughs) you know? Like, we, we have this banter with each other i love so, you um, i know yeah i know i know that is that is an awesome one that is an awesome one and um i think that i i do end up sometimes shouting out kylo ren stuff <laughs> trader uh, yes <laughs> i will be like trader or more <laughs> <laughs> What are you? Arley's like putting Arley's putting like seasoning on something. I'll just be like more <laughs> slamming your. And feet. she knows it. She knows what's going on. She knows what's going down. I dropped one there <laughs> yesterday in in like proper conversation by saying that something was it was a pathway to abilities some may consider to be unnatural and managed to get it into conversation. So I was really quite pleased with that one. Oh, bro, it's got to be. It's gotta be. Anything I mean, these are just classics. They don't get, they don't get better than this, dude. They don't get better than Do this. Do it. Make the sacrifice. Make. And and lastly, it'd probably be um, this where the fun begins. Of course. Mate. So, um, I mean, it's uh, once again, it's just you can't not use it. Use uh, and lastly, mate, m- most impactful Star Wars quote on why? Um, we've already mentioned mine. It was at the end of the Last Jedi, the uh, Yoda Luke scene when he says, "We are what they grow beyond." Because it relates to, I relate to it in uh, different ways, it's like fatherhood as well. Like the burden of all masters. Change the word masters for fathers, the burden of all fathers. You know, we are what they grow beyond. Failure is the greatest teacher. You know, like a, um, good days, bad days. But in the end of the day, that's what it's all about is, is the, the teachings that you pass on. And one day those who you pass them on will, will surpass you. And that's the burden of all masters. So... That is that is my most impactful one, I think. Otherwise, Obi Wan says in uh, A New Hope, "Who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him?" Which is very prevalent in many things, especially in modern society. So, um, those two for me. What about yourself, big boy? 
That's so true, man. That's some great choices there. I really, really like um, uh, Jimmy's mention already. Hey, kid, mm. from uh, Rise of Skywalker. I think that is gorgeous. I really think that's gorgeous. I like the ending of The Last Jedi. Luke Skywalker, you know, he says, and I will not be the last Jedi. Oh, oh man. <laughs> Flipping heck. What a line. What a line. I love it. I really, really, really love it. And um, it's once again, it's a lot of the Luke and Yoda stuff. It just really sh- sends shivers down my spine. Like, I, I absolutely adore it. Absolutely adore it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I could come up with millions, though, of this stuff. Like, there is stuff, and it depends on my mood. Like, I catch myself thinking about certain lines in different um, environments mm-hmm. and different moments, you know, because they're all applicable to different moments. Um, but even Mando, like you said, you know, I'm starting to say stuff from Mando a lot. Like, yeah, this is the way, you know, this is the way. I mean, right? I'll just shrug, you know. Yeah, this is the way. It just comes out. I'm like, whoa whoa that's quickly like becoming grained in in my dna well so, you know that dan yeah. dan from bermuda and Stu from south end have all been on the beach and wistfully said i don't like sand you know they've said that sometime oh, oh i would be i would be shocked if they hadn't <laughs> disappointed come on come on i mean what, what how else are you gonna chat up girls well exactly again it worked so yeah yeah he's, he's a he's a psycho murderer apparently he doesn't like sand but Hey, it gets to go, so yeah, <laughs> great. Um, so, so yeah, there we go. George Lucas, <laughs> he loved put it. Put it on a Hallmark yeah. card. I don't like sand. More intense. And, uh, so that is uh, Jimmy. Jimmy, that was a, like yourself. That was a spicy question. So, thank you for sending that in, Jimmy. And I'm always interested in hearing what Blalo Ren has to say in uh, regards to those kind of answers because I just love hearing other people's takes on these kind of things. And yours too, Jimmy, were spot on. So. Thank you for that, mate. And if you guys want to join the Spice Train, that is our Patreon, you can do at patreon.com forward slash Star Wars Sessions. $2 a month, you get access to every show we drop. So we get three a month, plus uh, special commentaries and other things we drop. Pictures, videos, you know, all the good stuff is on there, polls as well. So uh, if you want to join up, patreon.com forward slash Star Wars Sessions. Um, and Blalo Ren, we also have a, a sweet, spicy Discord server, don't we? Yes, we do. It Discord servers are like a big fun group chat, like on WhatsApp or whatever. Uh, so if you want to come on a really geeky Star Warsy group chat full of fun, let us know. DM us on socials and we'll send you a link and you can join. It really is great fun. We all say morning to each other and share stuff and ask questions and we chat. It's just good fun. It's really laid back and awesome. So yeah, let us know if you want to join our Discord server. Eloquently said by the Sultan of Spice himself. So uh, for another week, that is our Kef beers finished and we are going to depart the Bantina. But as, but as you know, we'll be back next week. Star Wars Sessions game! 
Matt, are you ready for some spice? I'm ready to get on board. <laughs> Mate, you're ready to party like it's a BBC interview from 1978. Party like I'm back on Blue Peter. Ah, oh, you naughty boy, you naughty boy. This one, it's something we've had before. Nice. It is. Where is this joke going? Yes! Yes! It's a classic, mate. I've got the classic joke yes. book out. The classic naff joke book. And we got some naff jokes for you, Matty boy. And you basically have to try and finish them off. These are very bad jokes, guys. But feel free to use them. When you're next on your Microsoft Office Teams meeting, you know, lay down one of these jokes. And, you know, you might get a laugh or you might not get, or get, might get yeah. promoted or you might get laid off you might get promoted <laughs> you might be bringing back back home another 10 bags per year because of us right so and if you do sign up to our patreon yeah. <laughs> uh okay <laughs> okay are you ready for the first joke oh, i'm never ready for these but let's do it let's bring it on matty boy's been dreaming of these okay where do rebels eat lunch? Cantina. Oh, good guess. Oh, that's too, that's too obvious, isn't it? Um, the uh, Alliance Cafe, the Reb. Um, uh, oh, I've said the cafe. I don't. Uh, see, for those new, these are so. Some of these are so out there that you could say anything and it might be right. Where do the rebels eat uh, their lunch? You're going to love some of these, by the way. Uh, I, I can't think. I, I, I've gone right, to the cantina. Ready? I'm going to put you out of your misery. I'm sorry. It's the Admiral Snack Bar. Oh, it's a wrap. Oh. <laughs> it's a wrap. It is a wrap. Right. I was, I was, I've heard that, but I was never going to get it. Right. Li- listen to this one, mate. Why do wampers eat raw meat? Why do wampers eat raw meats? Yeah, uh, wampa. Because... Because there's no fire on Hoth. Yeah, you're you're close, but you're too specific. See, this is a really bad joke book, Matt. So what? Because there's they, no. Uh, you why do make, wampers? You can't eat. make fire with ice. Close. It is. Why do wampers eat raw meat? They're terrible at cooking. <laughs> See what I mean, guys. What? I, I could have just said they haven't got any this seasoning. Book makes me annoyed. It makes me it makes me annoyed. After a couple oh, of London Prides is stamping this? on it. People got paid to do this. Do you know that what they've done is they've basically it's like a mass producer. They there's probably one for another franchise or just bad jokes and they're like, We'll use that punchline. What what's 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 the lead up? I don't know. Right. Why can't Wampers why do they eat cold food? Oh that would imagine, <laughs> imagine being exactly mate. Imagine being a kid. Going into school, right? You've started a new school. You're nervous. You're like, I know. Everyone loves Star Wars. I'll learn a few Star Wars jokes. Yeah? You go with these, you're going to get murdered, mate. Well, that's it. Imagine what George Lucas thinks. We, 1977, sitting there in Hawaii, nervous, gets the call, blockbuster. 30, 40 years later, these jokes come out. Yeah, It's not what he thought was going to happen with his franchise. Right. Um, let's, let's go to the next one. How does Han Solo make a shelter on Hoth? How does Han Solo make a shelter on Hoth? On Hoth, he um, it makes a torn tent, a torn torn tent, a tent torn. 
I like the line of thinking. That is a good line of thinking. Um, no, the answer is it glues together. Oh, it he glues it together. Oh, he doesn't. It glue it together. That's that's it. <laughs> and then he glues it off. We never saw that. Yeah, yeah. It glues. It glues it together. It glues it together. <sighs> we need a Yorkshireman to say that. It glues it together. That's a bad impression. It glues it together. Better. <laughs> Sorry, Yorkshire. Um, right, next. What's dark, scary, and has three wheels? Darth Vader on a tricycle. <laughs> is it? I can't believe it. Is it? That is exactly what it is. Wait, I've got one. I'm so pleased we've got one of these. I am shocked, mate. What? What is going on? I think we might as well burn this now. I've cracked it now. It's taken me, what, combined about 18 jokes, but I'm finally getting it now. I'm having a swig of the London Pride. That's for sure. Because you know that's going to happen. Darth Vader and a You naughty boy. Love it. Okay, all right. Play Um, along, guys. All right, we've got a couple more, okay? We've got two more questions, okay? Two more questions and another little bonus bonus naughtiness. <sighs> Why did the spy stay in bed? Why did the spy stay in bed? Yeah. Uh, the spy, did the spy stay in bed? This one's not even Star Wars, To, to avoid the being detected? Nah, it was, he was working undercover. That's quite funny, actually. You know, bad, bad like, dad it? joke type of thing. <laughs> I'm stealing bad. that one. It's not bad. Right, well, this one. This is the one. This is the last one. I've picked this one last on purpose. This is the last question. The rebel spy. Go on, then. What's the strongest fish? What's the strongest fish? The yeah. strongest fish is... Uh, I don't know, but there's always a bigger fish. Yeah, right? You'd think it'd be something like that. It goes, uh, so this is it. And I, I don't know if I'm being thick here, right? I feel like I'm being stupid here, but it goes, what's the strongest fish? A tractor. A tractor bream. Uh, is a bream a, bream a, a, is bream a type is of fish, a fish but a tractor beam, I mean, how do you oh, right, measure, right. quantify well, that in terms of like pull and mass and velocity? Right, bream, bream. That's what I didn't get. I'm not buying it. I'm I not thought... buying it. Right. I didn't know Bream was a fish. fish. Well, there we go. Tractor Bream. So I was thinking like whale, like weight whale. Or... Oh, okay. Well, there Tractor is always a bigger fish, Tractor Bream. So watch yourself. Now, I've got one last one to say, but this isn't a question. Okay. okay. Um, But I want to know your thoughts on it. Okay. I want you to grade it out of 10. Okay. Out of 10. Grand Muftarkin used to play in the band but he kept asking where the treble bass was <laughs> we need to know the location of a treble bass i know that's not that's not bad is well, it well, let's go and ask uh, guy henry and see what he thinks about that and uh, we'll, we'll yeah, let's get him to, to read it out let's yeah, get guy to send it we'll do our best to get guy on board as for that the treble i'm going to give you i'm going to give you a 6 out of 10 for effort not bad. And I didn't even write it. So you have to thank um 
<sighs> doesn't even say. I don't blame him. I don't blame that. that they've not put their name on this. Uh, I'm generally going to try surprised. and ask Grand Moff Tarkin that joke and see what he thinks about it. We, we can thank Eggman. Eggman. <laughs> Eggman, who Eggman. Are a subsidiary of, uh, I can't remember who, uh, I think they're Penguin Random Penguin? House. That's it, yep. Yeah. Nice ones, guys. There we go, mate. That is this week's game. 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 I loved it. And for those who've never heard this Star Wars joke book game, what an experience. Eh? You talk about seeing Star Wars in 77 as experience, you know, great. The Star Wars joke book game was where it's at. If anybody got any more than one of those right, then, well, quite frankly, well done. Yeah. Yeah, guys, we do a we do. If it is your first show, we do a game every week, and the joke book does pop up every now and then, and uh, it is filled. But fortunately, you have seventy six other shows to explore. So welcome along to the Spice Train, a choo choo. That's it. And unfortunately, the Spice Train is just arriving at its final destination now. Uh, if it's a joke book, they give you a really bad answer to that. But that is that. For this episode, 77, our 1977 special episode of Star Wars Sessions. But the fun doesn't end there. No one's ever really gone. So where can the world find us, Master Blywalker? You can find us at starwarsessions.co.uk. You can find us on Twitter at Star Wars Session with no S at the end. You can slide into our galactic DMs on Instagram at Star Wars Sessions. Or feel free to drop us a cheeky voice note or cheeky message to our email address, sws at wannawatchtonight.co.uk. And if you want to support the show further, please consider checking out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Star Wars Sessions. We're on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn. If we're in a galaxy, you can find a podcast, you'll find us there. And if you love our show, please consider leaving us a good review on your podcast provider of choice and head on over to podchaser.com as well. It's the IMDB for podcasts. It's awesome. We're on there. So drop us a review there if you do happen to have a spare 30 seconds. It helps to show more than you know and it gives us that wonderful spicy engagement that we love having with you guys each and every week. Yes, and don't forget Apple Podcast Reviews, guys. Get your reviews on there, you filthy lot. We love you. And please tell all your Star Wars friends about us. Tell your mum, tell your dad, tell your mates, tell your cat, tell your Ewok, tell a random bloke in line in 1977. You can do it. Tell your cousin, the more the merrier. The castle spice. Tell Grandma Tarkin, this is the treble, but oh, no, wrong one. This is the podcast you're looking for. So until next time from me, see ya. And from Luke. May the force be with you. Always. Luke! Boba Fett is Dench. They are Essex-based podcast heroes...
Again, it's like poetry, it's sort of if they rhyme. Tell that to Kanja Club.